If you have your Bible and you know the drill, go ahead and grab it. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter 2. We're in verses uh, 1 through 11 that we've been dealing with for the past few weeks. I'm going to do everything I can to finish this up today. Uh, next week, I want you to remember I want to do a, uh, something I, I want to start doing maybe every, uh, every once a month, every quarter, something like that. And next Sunday, I want to give a prophecy update. I want to do a, what's happening now, uh, what's going on in, in, in the world that we're in now. Because these are perilous times that we're in. And there's so much sensationalism going on out there about everything that's happening is that I don't want anybody to get mixed up and, and have any kind of uh, uh, fear. Listen to me, I was talking to somebody the other day and they was asking me a bunch of questions about, you know, is this, is this Ezekiel 38? Is this, are we walking? I said, listen to me. I started talking to them and they said, well, that, that makes me so fearful. I said, are you a believer? Yes. Well, I said, listen, the fear that you're feeling is not of God. It's of God. God's not doing things in the world to make believers fearful. God's doing things in the world to make you understand that He's in control and all we need to do is fully trust Him. Put all of our faith, all of our confidence in everything that He's told us in the Word. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that God will always have His people and God will always take care of His people. How many know that? Yeah. He even went this. He said this that he'd make a way in the wilderness and a river in the desert. God's able to do that. How many believe that this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, like I said, grab your Bible. We're, we've been in sort of a mini series inside our series. We're talking about the Book of Romans, the Gospel of Grace, and our uh, uh, mini series that sort of evolved into this. I suppose uh, this is part. Five, I think, that we're on, I believe it is, but uh, we're and we're going to pick it up in verse 5 today, down to 11, but don't get excited, I'm going to try to get through, but I may not make it to 11, but that's okay, it, it's alright, amen, so don't worry, and so we've been talking about who put you in charge, is what we've been talking about. And let's read our scripture. He said this, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in what, whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now listen. Paul's presenting this argument here. And he's giving us this, this argument. And, and he, he lays out several points in this argumentation. He, he's directing them, and, and rightly so, telling them, look, it doesn't matter who you are. You're not in charge. God didn't put you over nothing. And you're pointing a finger at everybody back in chapter 1. You see chapter 1 chapter 2, you, you can't split them. They... They're together. And so, he says, you're pointing a finger back in chapter 1, but you're doing the same thing. And so, you're judging, and the judging you're doing, you condemn yourself. And what did he say? He said this, verse 4. He said, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness, 
verse 5, focus on this. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, he said, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. He continues, eternal life to those who by patient continuance is doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, also of the Greek or the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you right now for your words. You instruct us today. You teach us today. For Father, we're nothing without you today, and we need your help. We need your guidance. Lord, I pray to hide me behind the cross of Christ, my Savior, today, that He'll be high and lifted up, that He will draw all people unto Him. And I ask it now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Give Him glory. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is perhaps, well, it's not perhaps, it is, the greatest doctrinal treaty written. Scholars will say that Isaiah comes close to this great book of Romans that Paul is penned through the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. He lays out several things. Matter of fact, uh, I think I told you when we started this study that I don't know if they still do it, but at one time they were studying the book of Romans in law schools because of the argumentation that Paul put forth and how he argued that the gospel was the only way for salvation. It had nothing to do with nothing else other than the work that Christ did on the cross. Can you say man? It's a literary work that's considered high shelf. It is unmatched. And Paul's arguments flows. First thing he tells us is, is that, uh, that we're guilty because uh, our own judgment condemns us. When we judge others, and you remember now, judging goes like this, that we judge one another as believers righteously, but unbelievers we don't judge. That's up to the Lord. Can you say amen? And he, the second thing he says that we're guilty because God judges truthfully. God will always judge truthfully because God is truth and there's none other. We're guilty because God shows no partiality. God has no favorites. Isn't that wonderful? And so he's telling us here, I, I wanted to read this by Dr. A.W. Tozer. I, I love this statement. Listen to this. I love this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now listen to that. What an awesome statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, how do you and I think of God? When we think of God, what comes to our mind? And what comes to our mind determines how we live our life and make choices in this life. Left, right, left, right up, down, good, bad, whatever. 
Ever how you think of God is how that you live your life. Is what he's telling us. Everyone has an assessment of God. Everybody does. But the assessment that we have must be of the God of the Bible. Can you say amen? And not another. Because there's not enough. And Paul's telling us, he says, who put you in charge? In charge of what? Our first consideration that we looked at was this, of the righteousness of God. Verses 1 through 3. Paul's telling them, saying, you, you don't have an excuse for pointing a finger back in chapter 1 and accusing these folks and condemning these folks and criticizing these folks. You remember? And so he's telling them that God didn't put you in charge of His righteousness. He, he uh, alone determines salvation and righteousness. And, and living, listen to me, living a life for Christ is lived out of, we were talking, somebody made this statement, but about uh, how people view life and how if they live for God or they don't. And let me tell you something. The way that we choose to live in this life determines, I just read it to you in the Scripture, determines where we are depositing our treasures. Amen. Is what Paul says. We lay up treasures, is what he says. Good or bad. Now, not for one instance is Paul talking about, uh, he's not talking about uh, uh, Good deeds will get you into heaven. And I'm sort of jumping ahead of myself because I hear this all the time. Well, I'm a good person. And since I'm a good person, God, He's a God of love and He's not going to send me as, as C.S. Lewis put it, He's not going to do the other thing to me. In other words, He's not going to send me to heaven. But Paul is telling these, now listen, He's writing to the church in Rome, okay? He's writing to the Italians, all right? But also in Rome was a, a lot of Jews. And the Jews already had it in their head that they were special because they were chosen of God. They were God's people. And so God was going to give them a buy. You ever, you know, when it comes to things in our life, we always want to say, well, you know, so-and-so's doing this, and, and, and I know God's going to deal with that. But when it comes to our own lives, God's going to overlook mine. Come on now, amen. Come on. But Paul said in verse 11 that God shows no favoritism. There's no partiality. You understand? It doesn't matter who you are. And so Paul's telling the Jewish audience here, he says, listen, and, and they were born again, so they thought they felt superior to everybody because they were born again and then they were Jewish. But Paul is telling them, look, that's not the way it is. You're not going to go to heaven on good deeds that you do and, and Paul is not propagating that. He is not writing that. He's not telling us by no means that if we do good deeds and we, we, we lay up good deeds and treasures in heaven that we're, that's going to make us to, to qualify to go to heaven. No, no. That's not what he's saying. Good deeds are the fruit of being redeemed. Amen. And it goes back to choices that we make in life. Can you say amen? amen. Is that alright? Yeah. And so he tells us, who's put you in charge of the righteousness of God? And the summation of the point was this, 
that apart from us coming and crying and calling out to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness, that we all are living under the great cloud of death. We all are. I was talking to someone the other day and, and I said, listen, we're all going to die. The problem is, are we preparing for that day? And so Paul is telling us this, that we're all going to die and that the only way to prepare for that day is to seek forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Is that right? Absolutely. And so he tells us that no one is going to escape the judgment of God. Uh, listen, this is a collage of, of the Roman road. I just wanted to read these scriptures again, starting in Romans 3.10. He said, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one person that's righteous. I want you to remember that. 3.23 says, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, what, what He's saying is that, is that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone died, paid the ultimate price of, of sin for me. He died for I should have died. Come on now. But He Himself bore my transgressions upon the tree, the Bible tells me. And because He, he paid the price, He fulfilled the law, keeping the law, fulfilled the law, and now what I have in my life is the forgiveness and righteousness of Christ that God has bestowed or deposited in me. Can you say amen? And He deposits that in me until the day that I am where He's at. Then my salvation it comes full circle and I am complete because now when I'm with Him, I'm immortal. I'm not mortality any longer, you see. Now, as the scripture says, I'm like he is because I'll see him just as he is. Can you say amen? amen. And so he says this. He says that he alone and that he rose for our justification, thank God. And so who put you in charge? The second point that we talked about last week was uh, not only of the righteousness of God, but of the goodness of God. And I'm trying to hurry. Verse 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Remember, we talked about this. Good is only equated to God. In the old English, when we said, when we say good morning, I'm sure everybody said good morning. I said good morning to you when I got behind the pulpit. I'm actually saying to you in old English, God be in your morning. Good evening. God be in your evening. Good night, God be in your night. Yes, amen. Good is only equated to God. Yes. There's none good, there's none righteous. No, not one. Come on here now, amen. Hallelujah. So he tells us that it's only, remember the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus, what did he say? Good master. Jesus was trying to invoke in him a, a a, uh, 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 an answer of deity. Now, if the young man had been on his toes, 
When he said, good master, and Jesus said, well, why you call me good? He should have responded and said, because you're God in sandals. Yeah. Come on now, amen. And I'm looking you in the eye and I know you're, you're from heaven and you're God in, in the flesh. And, and that's why I call you good master because good is only equated to you. Can you say amen? amen. Somebody give him glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. So he put you in charge of the goodness of God. He said, he said, no one but God is in charge of the goodness. And so the summation of that point is that there's a general goodness that exists in this universe. From the most Minute action and reaction of our subatomic existence to the fine tuning God does in our life. And there's an overriding and prevailing testimony that God is good and His goodness is active in our world. Can you say amen? James 1, 6 and 7. He said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. Every good gift, listen, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Amen. God's good. Amen. Listen to Psalm 139. David said this, Whether shall I go from thy spirit? I, I want you to lock this verse in. If you're here this morning, and you're depressed, lock in this verse. If you're here this morning, and you're not depressed, lock in this verse. If you're here this morning and you're running from God, walk in this verse. Yeah. It's written by a name whose heart was after God. Yeah. By the man who, who wrote this, David. He said, whether shall I go from your spirit or whether shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there... You shall, or there shall thy hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Can you say amen? amen. There's people that run from God. There's people that, 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 well, you remember Jonah? Jonah found out the hard way. He took off running from God. God gave him a command to go preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to do it. He gets on a boat to go to uh, uh, Spain. And on the way, uh, uh, the Lord, the Bible says that he, he uh, uh, had a great fish. I've, I've heard several, several explanations for the great fish. I believe this. It was a one and only fish. It was a fish that God created for the time. It was a fish that God created for Jonah. What are you saying? That if I'm out of the will of God, if God needed to create a fish for me, He'd do it. Come on now. Because the Bible, matter of fact, he was so bad that he told them, said, throw me overboard. He was so depressed and down and out. Throw me overboard. Because he was running from God. And so, and so we know that God, wherever God is, or wherever we go, David said God's already there. Amen. God is the only explanation for the existence of goodness in this world, can you say amen? amen? It's the only explanation. And then we pick it up here very quickly. Uh, who put you in charge? Our third uh, argument is this. Of the justice of God. Verses 5-11. through 11. Of the justice of God. Now at this present time in the world we live, all you hear is justice. Social justice. Economic justice. Uh, people have this 
twisted sense of man's justice. And because they think they can create a law that will okay sin, they think it's justice. Listen to me. Man does not dictate justice. Man does not dictate law. Only God does. Come on now. And he tells us that, that in verse 5, what did he say? I, I want to read verse 5. He said this. Uh, he said, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God. And so he's telling us, that, and, and, and remember this, that the concept of justice has always been a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview. In other words, justice emanates from God and from God alone and nowhere else. Amen. Listen to what he said in Isaiah 3.10. He said, Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, talking about judgment day, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Listen, there you go. Fruit of your deeds. But woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him, talking about judgment day, for what his hands have dealt out shall be dealt to him. Do you hear what he said? What choices that we make in this life, living for God or not, people say, well, how, if I don't know the Lord and the choices I make, how does, that, how does that equate to God? Because God has told every person. God has given us the word and He's told us that we uh, should always turn to Him for justice, for forgiveness, for salvation, and there's no other way. Can you say amen? Right. Absolutely. And so we understand that man's ability to uh, grandize himself. Because as a man gets further and further away from God, man looks around and begins to think that he's in control. And we do. We begin to elevate ourselves. Because we become know-it-alls. Someone who knows what's best. An expert. In other words. And let me tell you something. As we deny God, and we'll get into this in just a minute. As we deny God, and we keep going. I think I made this statement last week. People, real, they say, well, you know what? I didn't live for God today, but I laid down tonight and went to sleep, and I got up this morning, I ate breakfast, and God hadn't done anything yet. People say that. People think that. Let me tell you this. The devil is a graduate. Okay? He's not going to jump out on boo at one time. He's going to gradually work in your life to get you to the point to where you think, I'm in control of my life. And I don't have to answer to nobody. Come on now. I think the old Marxist socialist agenda was this. Two steps forward, one step back. And you say, well, they took two steps, but they took one back. But at that rate, they're going to be in your kitchen. You understand? You don't see it. You don't feel it. Because, because they're taking two steps, and that's the way the devil works. He'll take two steps and then one step back to where you don't feel pressure. 
You understand? But do you think He leaves you with the sense of that you're in control of your own destiny and your own life? And let me tell you, let me inform you, let me be truthful with you, guess what? You're not. You're not. God's in control of all things. Come on, give Him glory. Amen. Paul is, is writing. And as I said, he's writing to the church at Rome, but he's writing to a, a bunch of born-again Jews who now they feel superior to everyone else. And Paul's directing them and telling them that they're not in control. That God's in control of His justice and He administers it as need be. Our first consideration under the point that God, God's justice is this. That we've been given a new heart. This is a wonderful, wonderful, positive spin. Not a spin. But it's a positive aspect of what Paul's talking about. Because if God's in charge of justice, guess what? He has made a way for us to replace our old heart and put in us a new heart. Can you say amen? Uh, what did he say? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. The word accordance means simply this. The because of, the condition of the diagnosis, the situation of one's heart. Now, when I got a new heart, I wish God had put me in a new mind too. You, since He has put in a new heart in my life, I have to work on my mind every day. I have to renew my mind daily. Alright? Because I still have the same mind. I got a new heart. You understand? And the new heart, the new heart that He puts in us presses us, moves us toward Him always. Always. Now, I use this Many years ago, in a message when I was evangelizing, and some of these uh, observations that we're about to make, when when you talk about your heart, listen, when when you, I guess the average person, you put two hands together, and that's about the size of your heart. Okay, uh, this is what the heart does that God put in us now, uh, our physical heart. If you're an adult. Your heart beats about a hundred thousand times a day. Now listen. It beats about 35 million times a year. I read this. I double checked. I wanted to make sure I had the numbers right. And it does. It is. During an average lifetime, the human heart will beat more than 2.5 billion times. You think about that. The aorta the largest uh, artery in the body is the primary conduit for blood flow to a heart. It's the size of about a garden hose. Think about that now. Your capillaries, on the other hand, are so small that it takes ten capillaries to make up the size of one human hair. I read this and now I'm I got turned up. Hey, listen. That's why David exclaimed, said, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And only God can do that. Isn't that wonderful? Pray for me, I'm getting excited. He says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. David said, our body has about six quarts of blood that circulate through our body three times every minute. 
Our blood travels 12,000 miles every 24 hours. That's two round-trip flights from Los Angeles to New York two times. 24 hours. Your heart pumps about 1 million barrels of blood during an average lifetime. That's enough blood to fill up three super tankers that haul oil. And God Man had nothing to do with it. Not one thing to do with it. God made it. God did all of these things. But what did He say in this verse? There's two critical care conditions that He wrote about the human heart that's fatal. What did He say? First thing He said was hardness. You can look at the word in the Greek. Uh, sclerotes. Hardness of the arteries. is what He's talking about. Hardness. Layer by layer. Hardening of the heart. Now how does that apply to me in my spiritual life? Listen. The core being of a man, we're talking about the heart now, the new heart God puts in us, the core being of that is simply this, the thoughts, the attitudes, the emotions, which relates to stubbornness, come on now, the hardening, Paul said, which is stubbornness, which is contempt, that eventually your heart becomes so hard at the gospel at the things of God because you say, well, I'm, I'm able to do this and God hadn't judged me yet. I'm able to live like this and God hadn't judged me yet. And every time you contempt before God, the heart gets hard. Now come on now. The emotions. The things that drive us. Who you are. The person that will live forever. Either with Jesus or the other place. And so he tells us that, that that determines ourself. But then what did he say? He said impenitent. It's a hard heart that is impenitent. He said, which means a self-determination, a self-excusing, a self-governing heart, an unrepentant. It's capable of changing because it cannot feel its it's not capable of changing because it cannot feel its own self. Uh, what? Not being sorry for the wrong that you do. That it's okay if I do this because the more you say it, the more you reject it, the harder your heart becomes and the more attitude you have of becoming stubborn, having contempt for God and simply being to a place to where your heart is impenitent and now you say, I'm not sorry for what I'm doing. Come on now. I'm my own God. Come on now. You got folks like that all over the world this morning. But Paul's saying this. He says this. He says that, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, the end result is this. Always. I will not obey God. I will do what I want to do. When I want to do it. How I want to do it. And the choices I make is on me and nobody else. You're right about that. But you're wrong about everything else. He tells us that these uh, critical conditions reveal that Paul says becomes fatal to us. 
that eventually we get to the place to where we're not going to ask him to forgive us because now, as I said, the devil is a, the Satan is a gradualist, okay? And the more you do that, the more he just invades your space little at a time to get you to thinking, well, you know what? God's nowhere around. You can do what you want to do when you want to do it. I'm here to tell you this morning that you can't. And you're not. Because David's already told us, doesn't matter where I go, God's there. Listen to me. David said, if I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I go to heaven, he's there. Doesn't matter where I go, God's there. So in you saying that you've got contempt for God and you're going to do what you want to do, guess what? God's already there and he sees you. Yes, amen. And so he tells us that this moralist hardens his heart against the judgment of God. He refuses to repent. He cannot accept the fact. There's people today that cannot accept the fact that, that they're too good for God to destroy. Come on now. That God's goodness and love would never condemn them. I had a lady, I was talking, she told me right back, I'm a good person. I, I don't know who you're talking to, she said, but I'm a good person. And then I said, well, I don't know, but the book of Romans tells me they've not known Amen. Amen. I mean, don't get mad at me. I didn't write the book. I'm just T-boating. It's coming in, and I'm letting it out. Amen. Doesn't matter how good you think you are, if you don't have Christ in your life, that's going to equate to naught. Can you say Amen. Amen. He tells us that this term uh, treasures up. He's talking about storing up. People store up. They heap up. They lay up. The person who hardens his heart refuses to repent. And Paul says they continue to store up, heap up treasures uh, against themselves. In other words, it's like you, uh, uh, Dr. Ray Stedman. I read his book and if I remember right, this is what he said. He said that it's sort of like a bank account. But now, you know, everybody's got apps, you know. I don't know. I mean, I still do. I still write a check for things, but, you know, people laugh at me when I'm writing. I went over to the, the, the pig here a while back, and I, I couldn't say I didn't have my glasses with me, and I told a little girl, I said, listen, I'm going to sign this. Will you fill this out for me? She said, how do you do it? <laughs> I was like, well, wow, you know, the Lord's got to come because he was not going to know how to do nothing. And I showed her. I said, you write the check this way. But listen, Dr. Reese Stedman said this. He said, it's like you got a bank account and you're laying up for yourselves the choices that you make in this life. You treasure them up. Good or bad. And so that's what he's telling us. He says that this, this, uh, uh, this treasuring up for yourselves uh, wrath in the day of wrath. Wrath simply means anger, fury, vengeance. The revenge of God. It is giving out of what's owed. Wages paid out. Treasuring up. Stockpile. Storing up. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's telling us that if you're laying for yourselves treasures in heaven for God, working for Him, loving Him, living for Him, that when that day comes, when that day comes and we stand before Him, because everybody's going to stand before Him. Come on, brother. Big and small. Great and insignificant. It's going to stand one day before God and will be judged. According to their deeds is what he said. Is that right? And so he said this. The bottom line is this. What do you want to do? I mean, what do you want to do? Think about it. If you could rub a Christian lamp and, 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 and if it... This might be a little far-fetched, but this bear with me. I told you I got a cartoon mind. So if you could rub a Christian lamp and, and you could get wishes, what would you wish for? Think about it. Because what you would wish for in actuality is the assessment that you have in God, of God, in your life. Some people say, well, if, if I could wish, if I could rub that thing, I'm going to say, I, I, I want $100,000. Well, I mean, if you're going for a big, say a million. If you could rub, rub that thing and say, well, I'd wish for a hundred thousand wishes. It tells us, it tells God what we think of Him. But if we could rub that lamp and say, Lord, help me to be like Jesus. Come on. Come on. Help me to be like you, Jesus. I know, I know I'm not and I never will be, but help me be like you. Help me to follow you. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you so that people will see you in my life and know without a shadow of a doubt that I belong to you. Amen. That I belong to you, God. That I belong to you, Jesus. And that your blood is applied and now thank God. I'm on my way to glory. Amen. Amen. Give Him glory. Hallelujah. And so He says, He says that, that we, we lay up for ourselves treasures. Remember what A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. There's no middle ground. If left unchecked, this is the point, if left unchecked, your passions will define who you are. You understand? The passions that you have in life will define who you are when it comes to knowing God. Amen. And so, he says this, that uh, you're treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness judgment of God. Paul says, he tells us, here in Philippians 3, I, I want you to, I, I, I know, listen, I know what time it is. Don't worry about it. I, I, I know where we're at. Philippians 3, listen to what he says, starting in verse 3. He said, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, the man that wrote this, huh? was perhaps the greatest convert of Christianity the world's ever known. Paul was somebody. 
He really was. And he wrote this to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians. And he said, verse 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if any, listen to this sarcasm, I love this. He says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. That's pretty sarcastic, isn't it? Paul said, listen, if you think that you're somebody because you think you keep the law and you've got confidence in what you're doing, I'm more so. But that ain't where he stopped. Listen, this is where he went to. He said, I'm more so. Fifth verse. Circumcised the eighth day. That's Jewish. Huh? Of the stock of Israel. That's extremely Jewish. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Jew. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Jewish. Concerning the law of Pharisee. Jewish. Concerning zeal. Persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But listen to this. But what things were gained to me... This, what Paul's telling them is that I've done all of these things. And listen, if anybody could qualify by what they do to walk on water, Paul could. I believe that law in my heart. He could qualify, but guess what? Paul says, those things are rubbish. Come on now. Why? Because he said this. He said, but well, what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. Paul's telling them, look, it doesn't matter that I kept the law, that I was circumcised that I've done all of these things and I, I, I lived my life for decades to the letter of the law but I count it lost now and rubbish that I may gain Jesus Christ in my heart and life. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Man, what's this, Come on. Every, every time I read that, that just does something to me. He said, all of these things, you know, People today think that there's sometimes somebody. You know what I'm saying? But Paul's telling us here that it's all rubbish. He said, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Does that describe us today? Think about it. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? I pray it does. Philippians 3, 12, 14. New Living Translation. Listen, I, I like the way that it's put here. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. And that I've already reached perfection. Paul said, I'm not perfect. Not what he's saying, I said. He said, but I press on to possess the perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now listen. No, dear brothers and sisters. I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. This next statement in this verse. I'll save you a trip to the doctor. Uh, save you a trip to the pharmacy. Now listen to me. What did he say? Forgetting the past. There's so many Christians that are bogged down and burned down with the past. You don't know what I did. No, I don't. 
guess what? I don't want to know. That's between you and God. But if the blood's been applied, Paul said to forget the past. Yeah, amen. Focus on what's ahead. Yes, That's living for Jesus and being where he's at. Oh. My God, somebody give him glory. Hallelujah. Forget the past. Yeah. You know how many people that I, I have to talk to and they say, I can't get over my past. Yeah. That's the same. Yeah. He's gradually slipping in. That's right. Putting those things in your mind, see. But Paul said this, if the blood's been applied yes. and you're not living under Amen. your own righteousness, but you're living under Jesus Christ, forget the past and press on toward the goal, the high calling that is in Jesus Christ. My God, somebody give it glory. Hallelujah. Forget the past. Amen. I love what he said. You don't know what I did. No, I don't. And you don't have to tell me. That's right. That's between you and the Lord. But thank God it's under the blood. Yes. Hey, it's okay to shout again. Go ahead. Oh, man. Amen. Praise the Lord. Listen, I, 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 I got this. I wanted to do an audio, but I, I couldn't get it in time. But it's C.S. Lewis. I'm sure everyone's heard of C.S. Lewis, the great noted uh, intellect. Probably one of the greatest of the 20th century. Arguably uh, one of the most influential writers in modern history. Uh, you know, the Nauticals of, of Narnia and some other things. But I, I think my favorite book of his is Mere Christianity. I, I love the book. If you have never read it, get a copy. It's a great book. This is what he wrote. <coughs> now, you have to listen because it, he's using... Of correct English and old English, so listen to what he says. He says, People often think of Christian Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, If you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I don't think that's the best way of looking at it, he says. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, now listen to me. That you make a choice that you're turning to the central part of you, the part that chooses into something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, you're slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God or a other creature and within itself. Or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heavenly. It is joy and peace and knowledge and power. Listen to that. To be the other creature means this. Madness. Horror. Idiocy. He put the word idiocy in there and I like that. Because for far too long I thought that I, I you know, I, I try to remember when I was a, a sinner, but you, you, I forget the pain. So I don't want to remember. But I remember sometimes how I felt when people would talk to me about the Lord and 
You know, and I'd say, well, you know, my mom and dad's a preacher, and I'm okay. Hey. And guess what? They're in the church of God, too. I got a bought paid-for ticket. A lot of people think that. Billy Graham put it this way. Just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. That's right. I could be born in a garage, but it doesn't make me an automobile. Amen, brother. Come on. Come on. Is that right? And so he says this, the other creature, full of horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. Lewis is telling us the same thing Paul brings out in Romans 2, that God is a righteous God. He judges human beings and assesses wrath against those who continually do wrong. You know, it's a big thing now that people say, well, you know, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's a lie of the devil. And you listen to me. God's called us together. He's called us to come together. To worship Him. There's three things that He instituted when He created man. He instituted marriage, the family, and government. Listen to me. And the church. Jesus died for the church. Is that right? Jesus is coming back after what? The church. church. So if you think you cannot be a part of the church and go to heaven, think again. Preach on, brother Rick. Amen. Never happened. It's not going to happen. But Paul said, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Come on. That we press toward that, church. That we press toward that. And this should be the constant cry of the new heart. This is how God remedies the other. Psalm 139, 23, 24. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to let you go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Listen to me. Our heart, you remember? We're not talking about the physical heart. We're talking about the emotions. We're talking about the thought. We're talking about the, the person of you that's going to live forever somewhere. He says, search it. Know it. See if there's any wicked way in it. But lead me in the way of everlasting. Amen. Our heart our being is defined by choices yeah. that we make in this life. Amen. Choices mean a great deal. When I was a, when I was a sinner, I didn't think like that. Listen to me. When, when, when you when you don't know the Lord, you don't get up in the morning thinking about reading the Bible. You don't get up in the morning wanting to pray. Sunday rolls around, you don't think about going to church. You don't think about those things. But when the heart is changed and He puts in us a new heart, I can't wait for Sunday to get here. I can't wait to hit the floor in the morning so I can give God glory. I can't wait to be able to sit down and open my Bible up and and read it. Choices. 
choices. Those choices that we make that are good are the fruit of what's in our life. Yeah. That is Jesus Christ. Amen, brother. That is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so it circles back around. Do you know Him today? Can you judge yourself as David judged himself? And can you say, Lord, search my heart. And if there is a wicked way in me, lead me to the everlasting. Know me. Help me to keep my eyes fixed upon you. And if you can't say that today, you can say that because it can be rectified through Jesus Christ. That thought process that, that we all have at one time in our life before our, our BC days before Christ. When, we, when, we, when we're not thinking about good things, but we're thinking about bad things, all of that can be taken care of in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then you can say, as Paul said, I'm going to forget the past. Yes. Oh yeah. I'm not going to worry about the past no more. past is gone. I've got no control over it. Amen. Choices I made then were bad choices. But guess what? The blood has covered those bad choices. And now i got a new heart. Now I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to press toward the goal. And my goal is to see Jesus. Amen. Is that right? Bow your heads with me, Sister Becky. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Lord, this morning, I got carried away again and didn't finish but Lord, I, I pray this morning that this word that I have done my best to preach that you've given. I pray this morning, Lord, that it touches hearts and lives. Lord, that it that if people are here today and, and they're hung up on their past and they're anxious about it and they're they're overwhelmed with it. I pray, Lord, to let them feel the peace. Let them feel the drawing power of Your love, Your forgiveness, Your cleansing blood. Thank You, Lord, for what You did on that cross so long ago. And thank You that You rose from the dead to justify what You did on that cross. And guarantee that that work that you did will always be there to forgive, to cleanse, to wash, and make whole. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Touch this morning. Minister, I pray, go forth. For your glory, I pray, O oh Lord. I give you glory and I give you honor. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I want to ask you this morning, you're here today.